Hello, student pharmacists, and welcome to another episode of Offscript. My name is Andy Stone, and I am your chair of the 2018-2019 APHA ASP Policy Standing Committee. Offscript serves as a way for our committee to interview experts in the field in areas interesting to student pharmacists as determined by the resolutions passed annually at the APHA ASP House of Delegates. Resolution 2018.1 is titled Education on Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, and Other Identities, with the goal of expanding the educational opportunities for student pharmacists and pharmacists in order to provide optimal patient care to patients of diverse gender identities. Today, I had the pleasure of interviewing a pharmacist in Michigan who is working towards educating other pharmacists throughout the state on what it means to be a gender-affirming pharmacist. Their name is Caleb Cogswell. Caleb is a pharmacist who volunteers with Transcend the Binary, a trans healthcare advocacy organization in Ferndale, Michigan. They aim to make healthcare and pharmacy more accessible to the trans and gender nonconforming community. As a member of the trans community, Caleb works to educate fellow pharmacists on gender-affirming care through continuing education programs. And now, over to the interview with Caleb. Uh, first thing I want to ask you about is, so I see that you use the term gender-affirming pharmacy often. So what does gender-affirming pharmacy practice look like to you, and how do pharmacists and student pharmacists fit into that vision? So I think the biggest thing that creates a gender-affirming pharmacy practice is understanding the trans community and being culturally supportive of them. We can know everything we want to know about the medications, but if we don't know how to interact and respect trans patients, we will never be gender affirming. Similar to, it's it's empathy, and it's being able to support and create those relationships with our patients and respecting them all the way through. That really makes the difference with a pharmacist giving someone testosterone or estradiol and a pharmacist giving gender affirming care. So from what you're saying, it sounds like just caring for the person for who they are. Yes, exactly. Yeah, to meeting that person where they're at and really understanding where they're at in that process. Exactly. So uh, a 2016 Gallup poll estimated that nearly 10 million Americans identify as LGBT+, looking at various different gender identities. With such a large population, why do you feel like it has taken so long for this topic to be addressed in the pharmacy community specifically? So without any... I will say that this is anecdotal in what I've experienced as a person in the trans community. Um, healthcare tends to be slow when it comes to addressing the needs of minority populations. Perfect example is how long HIV and AIDS were an epidemic before they finally did any work in that sector. So just the fact that we always have a lag time bef- between social issues and when healthcare gets caught up, that's an issue there. Additionally. There's always been trans people, but being trans publicly is now a thing that is becoming safer and more accepted. So we're starting to see people more publicly identify and seek out these things. So we're also just seeing a population increase in terms of who's actually coming to get care. So again, that lag, we have a need, we have to fill that need now. Um, And then also there's just in general, the political climate um, can obviously lead to you know, we're in medicine, but there's still politics in medicine. So that can always lead to issues there that will either, whether it be a pharmacist individual not providing care versus organizations who may 
have specific organizational values that may not provide care versus just things like getting trans-affirming care covered by insurance. These are all things that just kind of all add up to this big lag that we haven't caught up as a profession, not even just pharmacy, as a healthcare system in general. So you're saying it's not just one thing that we can easily fix right now. It is a lot of things that will take a lot of time to fix. Well, okay. Well, it's a good thing you're letting us know what those things are. Um, so to you, what is the biggest health disparity that patients of diverse gender identities are experiencing today, um, either related to pharmacy practice specifically or just healthcare in general? So I think one of the biggest disparities is the mental health mm. access and just mental health overall with the trans community. Um, Trans teenagers are more likely to commit suicide. Uh, we are more likely to have, um, we are more likely to smoke. We are more likely to use drugs. We are more likely to um, have addiction. We are less likely, we are more likely to um, drop out of school. So many things mm -hmm. because of high rates of depression and anxiety. If we can provide gender affirming care we will see those rates improve. So the big disparity is really the mental health aspect and what is just being sorely undertreated because we don't have access to the right things. Now I've heard you talk about some statistics in terms of um, patients, transgender patients seeking out some of those services both in mental health care and just health care in general. Would you care to speak to some of those? I mean, I cannot quote you specific <laughs> stats, unfortunately, mm -hmm. um, but that is something that uh, a great resource is the National Transgender Discrimination Survey. Mm -hmm. um, they do it yearly, and I think they're I think it's like a two-year lag before they can report results. Um, but that is a really good resource if you want to look at specific statistics nationally as well as in your state. Mm -hmm. They provide um, they don't provide state breakdowns for every single question, but there are some very valuable breakdowns. So. That is something that is a really good resource if you want to look for specific things like worry about discrimination or um, in healthcare or worry about discrimination at work or housing, whatever it may be, that is a good um, resource. And then if you do just like a quick Google search, you can definitely find studies regarding like rates of violence and rates of suicide and all those things. It is unfortunately a very highly, it's a it's highly studied subject in the people who care about it. Mm. Oh yeah, I understand. So when I hear student pharmacists talk about gender identities, um, a common concern is asking about a patient's preferred gender identity, like asking for their preferred pronouns. Um, what advice do you have for student pharmacists who feel this way? Just practice. Um, even as a person in the trans community, I'm still struggling sometimes to ask people their preferred pronouns, or I'm sorry, their pronouns. Our pronouns are not preferred, our pronouns are pronouns. Um, and that's, that's a thing that I've been working to try to drop from my vocabulary. Um, so really it's just about practicing and getting comfortable with asking that question. And a good way to do it is just whenever you meet anyone new, regardless if it's in like a social setting, a work setting, whatever it may be, asking, you know, what's your name? What pronouns do you use? And by adding it into that regular introduction, it will become very natural and there won't be that hesitation or that feeling of it being awkward. Do you find that when you ask people for their pronouns that they're kind of taken aback by that or do they find that very supportive? In the trans community, it's Felt very, it feels very supportive. Mm -hmm. It tends to take people who are cisgender a little off balance because they're like, oh wait, I don't ever get asked this question. But um, it is a f like, as someone who gets asked what my pronouns are and when I get to ask other people, it, it's a moment where you can see, 
a small connection where people know, hey, this is someone who gets it and is safe and I can feel comfortable telling them that my pronouns are they, them, or you know, whatever pronouns they may use. So maybe that one small step that we can make in order to kind of build that gender-affirming pharmacy care that you were talking about earlier. Yes, yeah, and it's it's an easy one too. Mm -hmm. If you just add it into our regular, you know, our regular activities, it'll become second nature. Um, what are some pharmacotherapy-related specific issues that pharmacists need to start considering for this patient population? So really, when it comes down to it, the pharmacotherapy of gender-affirming care is not very complicated. <laughs> it really is looking at simple drug interactions, like when patients are on spironolactone to help reduce testosterone levels, looking at the risk for increased potassium levels if they're on an ACE inhibitor. Simple drug interactions are what we're going to be looking for. It's really not too much more complicated than a regular prescription. Um, the only other thing besides that is that we focus our goals on patient goals rather than trying to get levels to a lab value. So that tends to be something a lot of people aren't comfortable with, you know, not using a guideline, not sticking to these numbers, but it's not something that's always gonna match up with a patient's goals. So understanding we have to kind of break away from that traditional thought of treat to a treat to an endpoint when mm -hmm. we're treating to a goal instead. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point that you make um, in terms of treating to kind of a patient goal, because it's not our traditional, you know, patient goals that we think of when we're thinking of, for example, for cholesterol medications, we're looking for a reduction in their LDL. Um, it's very different kind of patient goals that we're kind of looking for with that kind of care, um, especially when we're looking at hormone therapies. So I think it's really important that you kind of speak to that, that um, we're, we're not looking for necessarily a, a level that we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to where this patient feels more comfortable with, with um, their physical appearance matching their gender identity. Yeah, and that's something that it's conversations and making sure that you're kind of checking in with those patients too. A lot of patients will have their goals change with time. So it's always something that it never hurts to say, hey, is everything going good? You know, are you happy with what your therapy is giving you right now? Simple questions we can use again to just create that connection, have that empathy and support our patients. Yeah, those open-ended questions, they come back again. Yes, those open-ended <laughs> questions. <laughs> Um, so what can student pharmacists start doing today to help best serve patients of diverse gender identities? So really starting to build the blocks of being culturally competent. Um, I think as a generation, we are um, assuming that everyone is, you know, younger 20s, maybe mid 20s or 30s. Um, as a younger generation, we tend to be more open already to the idea of gender identity differences. Um, so just starting to create those blocks of getting more people to mention what their pronouns are, having these conversations with our colleagues about, hey, this is the appropriate way to go about this situation, or you know, just being open and creating that network within our, within our own profession. Um, and then if it's something you're interested in, just learn it and <laughs> run with it. I, I was not taught this in school. I learned this on my own when it I'll be honest, when it affected my life, when I needed to learn this, I stepped up to the plate and I learned it so that way I could help people in my life make decisions. So if it's something you're interested in, make make it your thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. go out there and seek the knowledge, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, would you care to speak a little bit about, I know you work with an organization here in Michigan um, that kind of focuses on getting ac uh, getting access to care for patients uh, uh, who are transgender or the other gender identities. Um, would you like to speak about that a little bit? Yeah, so I work with an organization named Trans on the Binary. 
We're based in Ferndale, and we work out of Affirmations, which is just the LGBT center in Ferndale. And our goal is to improve access and quality of healthcare for trans clients. Mm -hmm. um, we do a variety of services. We have patient advocates who help um, talk to patients, figure out what resources they're looking for, and connect them to those resources. It may be counseling. It may be um, finding just a good primary care physician, specifically looking at things like do they take insurance, do they have a sliding scale for their fees, okay. finding them uh, just any sort of resource we can find them, we try to do it. Mm -hmm. We really have an open, um, like an open door in terms of what can we do to help the community. Um, we are trans-led, which is very important, so we all have lived experiences mm -hmm. that help guide us. And by having that, we really are able to see what the community needs, as well as constantly checking in with what the community needs. Um, other things that we can do are, that we do, are we are trying to actively educate more healthcare providers. Pharmacy um, lectures were the first thing to do because I'm a pharmacist, it made sense, it's easy to get accredited as a pharmacist, <laughs> but we do plan on doing more, um, more education specifically for prescribers, you know, physicians, NPs, PAs, and then trying to create cultural competency programs for all healthcare professions because it's important that trans patients feel safe at their physical therapist, at their dentist, at any sort of healthcare interaction. We want them to feel safe. So we do a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> Sounds and like it. if there's ever something we can't help with, we try to get, connect them to someone that can help. Yeah, I think that's really important because that's something that our student pharmacists noted a gap in as well, is that we're not having that education on how to take care of all of our patients. And so being able to kind of know that there's organizations out there who are pushing for that education as well is reassuring because it means that there's there's someone out there who also recognizes that who may have a little bit more influence and control in that right now whereas we would have to wait a few years until we get that fancy degree and are able to to give these presentations and talk to these about these kind of issues and if I can am I allowed to plug something really Absolutely. quick go for it uh, we are actively doing a second survey we for you guys are down in the well your school is down in the Detroit area. Mm -hmm. um, we currently have an exhibit on display that shows off some of our study results from a Finding Our Strength survey, which specifically looks at our worry for discrimination, our coping skills. Um, there is some healthcare-related information in it, but it is also just very eye-opening to see what the daily struggles are like for a trans person. And now we are doing our second survey, partnered with U of M, to look at specifically trans healthcare issues. Mm -hmm. So if you are a member of the transgender community or gender non-conforming community and you are over the age of 18, please feel free to visit Transcend the Binary's website, just transcendthebinary.org. And at the top of the page, there is a link to access that survey. So we would definitely love to have people uh, access and take that survey. It is for only the state of Michigan. I'm not sure if I said that. Okay. All right. Good to know. Um, so what are some resources you recommend to help educate our student pharmacists on this topic in general? So there are a few major guidelines out there. Um, the WPATH standards are kind of the world standards for healthcare for transgender um, individuals. It covers a lot of different things like mental health care, um, surgeries, voice therapy. It covers a lot of stuff, but it's not very specific. So it's good to get like a good general idea. Um, and then there's the Endocrine Society guidelines, which are more specific, but still kind of vague. Um, but it's a good like society organization to look at. My go-to is the University of California, uh, San Francisco's 
trans transgender guidelines um if you just google that it will take you to a wonderfully laid out website um it's super easy to use and it breaks it down very thoroughly there there there's um lots of information about pharmacy there's lots of information about surgeries there's information about mental health care and it's just really in depth like it has everything you could possibly be looking for and it's super easy to use which as a professional is like a dream come true because nothing's worse than trying to sort through a poorly laid out guideline and then uh, it just helps save time and it's nice too because you can also direct patients to it mm. um, another organization that is similar to that is Fenway Health out of Boston so also a good resource to use um, there's quite a few organizations out there that have good kind of broad stroke resources available awesome thank you for sharing those um, so as one of my one of my last questions what additional advice do you have for student pharmacists and in general, this is your this is your time to, to plug or say whatever you're thinking. Have empathy. I think is the biggest thing that makes a good pharmacist is being able to connect and put yourself in a patient's shoes. It will make it easier when you're getting yelled at for some reason, whether it be your fault or not. Having that empathy makes it easier. You're able to really provide the education and support our patients need if you are empathetic. Um, in addition to that, make sure that you are taking time for yourself and taking care of yourself. Um, there are days where being a pharmacist is very emotional and difficult, and you wanna make sure that you're taking care of yourself after that. You don't wanna get burned out doing your job, and it's good to enjoy your job every day. Know that you're gonna have days that you don't enjoy your job, but always looking forward and having empathy and taking care of the patient. Um, yeah, it's pretty much just that. And if you find a niche you really like, go for it. Stay there and do what you love to do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me today. Really appreciate learning more kind of about these issues, um, just kind of getting a better understanding, and hopefully our student pharmacist members learn something as well. Yes, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'd like to take a moment and say thank you again to Caleb Cogswell for taking the time to sit down to an interview with me. It was great to hear their perspective as both a pharmacist and a member of the trans community. Caleb shared a lot of wisdom and resources that I think boil down to one thing. Treat every patient with the respect they deserve. Thank you, Caleb, for all that you are doing to help create more gender-affirming pharmacy care. I hope that all, you, all of you student pharmacists also found this interview interesting and will incorporate these lessons from this interview into your current and future practice as pharmacy practitioners. This is a patient population that needs our care but often avoids healthcare entirely for fear of persecution. The message is clear and that we should all strive to treat patients with respect for who they are. That is all for today's episode. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and share with your pharmacy colleagues to help expand our message. If you'd like to get in touch with any thoughts you have on Offscript, feel free to email us from our contact info on pharmacist.com. We hope to have you join us again next time. And until then, this is your APHA ASP Policy Standing Committee encouraging you to think outside the prescription pad.